Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41 And now, I can officially say this, on season two, I am now on TikTok, at Alex Meacham 41 This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. The Bearcat Basketball Podcast is now presented by Healthcare Management Group. Shout out to everyone at HCMG, and thanks for the support. Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in my next guest. He came on the podcast December 16th, and he was a big hit amongst Bearcat fans. He covers the Bearcats for the Inquirer, and back by popular demand, my guy, Keith Jenkins. What's going on, Keith? Allow me to reintroduce myself now. <laughs> <laughs> what up, Meach, man? It's good. It's good to be back, man. I'm, I'm, I'm. It's great. I'm grateful to hear that uh, the first podcast with us went well. So I'm, I'm happy to be back. Yeah, for sure. Um, big hit. Uh, Bearcat fans were reaching out, and they were saying that we had such a great rapport together on the first podcast. They wanted us again. They wanted us to uh, to run this back, and I, I'd like to continue to to have you on. We're kind of like uh, Run DMC, I guess. So we got that. No pressure. <laughs> we got that back and forth going, man. How you how you dealing with the uh, the weather, man? We're we're kind of snowed in. Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this this sucks. Uh, I I'm very happy to be back in my hometown and, and covering the Bearcats, but this is not fun. I I, I did not miss this part of Cincinnati. So, um, but no, nah, I mean considering COVID and and everything else. And I mean, you know, former colleague of mine, Pedro Gomez died unexpectedly the other day. And a, a family friend of mine died of at 48 unexpectedly. So not to get dark and start off in a, in a real weird place, but, but just considering the craziness of the world and everything that's going on, I'm super, super grateful to, to, to be alive and to be talking to you, my brother. There's no question. I think that's well said. And uh, what I want to cover for this podcast, I want to quickly talk about Bearcat football. I've got a couple topics, coaching-wise, recruiting-wise, I want to touch on. Then I want to jump into Bearcat hoops, of course. And then finally, we're going to get into a topic I love to talk about, and I know I know it's going to ruffle some feathers. We're going to talk about the top five greatest rappers of all time. Ooh, let's get it. Yeah, man. So let's jump into uh, Bearcat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's jump into Bearcat football real quick. Um, last time we spoke on the uh, podcast, we talked about some potential coaching departures. Would, would Luke Fickle be around for very long? And, and little did we know that Marcus Freeman uh, would be gone. So I want to know your thoughts on Marcus Freeman um, and how that impacts recruiting. Yeah, Freeman's loss, Freeman's departure is a tough loss for Cincinnati. Um, there's no, you know, dancing around that one. He's been Lucas. He's been Lucas. He's been Luke Fickle's uh, <laughs> defensive coordinator 
for all four seasons here. Um, so, I mean, that, that, um, that no turnover, that consistency, that, that, that's a, that leads to success. You know, that when, when, when things are the same and you're able to build upon things each year, um, that's a, that's one of the reasons why they've been so successful. Um, Freeman has been that ace in the hole, that secret weapon for Luke, um, on the recruiting trail. Um, he's been that guy that he can, he's able to, you know, put in the living rooms when, when we were able to, um, but, but when you, when you talk to Marcus, he's such an authentic guy. Um, he's, he's, you believe him. He's so passionate. He doesn't sell you a dream. He's just brutally honest with you about everything and players respect that and players respond to that. I think the fact that, look, he and I are the same age. You know, we, we, we played against each other. We played with a lot of the same people. We have a lot of mutual friends. We're both Ohio kids. Um, I think one of the positives um, that Luke had in Marcus was the fact that he was a young black guy who had NFL experience and could tell guys who are looking to get go that route, hey, you can do that here at Cincinnati. You can accomplish your goals um, here at Cincinnati. So to have him gone is, is going to be interesting to see how that impacts things going forward. And not only Marcus, who was not only a great defensive coordinator and a great coach, coaching the linebackers, um, and a great recruiter, um, but also losing, you know, Chad Bowden, who was the director of recruiting, who went to Notre Dame um, with Freeman. So to have these two guys who were such big parts of, of the, 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 the greatness that Luke Fickle has been able to build here. Um, it, it's going it's to be interesting to see truly what that impact will be. The, the now, looking forward, Luke has hired Mike Trestle to replace Freeman. And Mike Trestle is a guy who has similar philosophies um, as Luke Fickle and, and Coach Freeman. They're all friends. They've all known each other for years. They've all been on the same recruiting trail um, and, and recruiting this 300-mile radius that you see um, loves to 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 work. Um, so he's a guy who has similar philosophies and knows the area as well. Um, so I think that's going to pay great dividends as far as what this team and that defense will look like going forward. Um, but we'll, we'll, it remains to be seen, you know, how much we will really feel um, the impact of, of Freeman leaving. Um, but I think as far as Mike Trestle goes, I don't know if you could have made a better hire um, if you're Luke Fickle, because he's just a guy who he coached here previously um, when D'Antonio was the head coach. Um, so he knows the area, he knows the fan base, um, and he's seen this program grow from afar, you know, after spending the last 14 years at Michigan State. So, um, and, I, you know, Trestle comes here with the cupboard fully, fully open. I mean, it, he's got a lot of great talent um, coming back. And, and, and so this, this team, um, you know, at least defensively, I would, I would, I would guess they shouldn't miss much of a beat um, under under Trestle. Mm-hmm. So, give me some thoughts on next year, based on the roster that's coming back, some of the new recruits they have coming in. The expectations for this football team are, are pretty high. So, what are your thoughts on this team coming back next year? Yeah, they they should be good. Like I said, I mean, they have still one of the best secondaries um, in the country. You know, the best secondary in the American Conference. Kobe Bryant, who was a senior last year, an all-conference performer um, at corner, he's coming back. He's decided to uh, utilize that extra year of eligibility and return for another year. So it's good to see Kobe back. And then on the other side, 
um, Sauce Gardner, Ahmad Sauce Gardner is back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they have been, you know, the top two, you know, quarterback or cornerback tandem um, in the conference for the last, you know, two seasons. So to see those two guys back there, now they got to replace two all-world safeties in James Wiggins and Derek Forrest, but they got guys behind them who have a lot of experience and are capable. And then you got guys like, you know, Darian Beavers, who's a local guy, um, who was a senior last year at linebacker. He's coming back. He's using that extra year. Um, and then they still got the best, the best pass rusher um, in Majay Sanders. He's coming back for his senior year. Um, he's a guy that could have tested the NFL waters. He's like, nah, let's run it back. So defensively, like I said, man, you know, it, it, I would feel a little more shaky about Trestle coming in after Freeman leaving. Um, if maybe the talent wasn't there, but they are still loaded. They still got a lot, a lot of great players on the defensive side of the ball. And um, Luke Fickle is as the head coach with a defensive mind is still, you know, overseeing that side as well. And then we got Desmond Ritter at quarterback on the other side. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we I think the expectations should still be high. I don't know if it's going to be quite a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, I don't know. I'm not saying it will or it won't be. The the tough part about this upcoming season is they got to go travel to Notre Dame and they got to play Marcus Freeman and, and, and hmm. Brian Kelly and, and they got to figure out a way to win or at least show – you know, early on that they should be in the conversation as one of those top teams against a really great Notre Dame team. Um, and the, the dangerous part about Notre Dame is they've been a few players away from really standing in that class with Alabama and Clemson, and they just haven't been able to get there. Freeman is freaking dangerous of a recruiter. If you can, if he can take that, you know, that momentum up to South Bend, man, that's going to be dangerous. But to, if UC can figure out a way to play well up there um, in South Bend, and then also they got to play Indiana. And in Indiana, this isn't the Indiana football team that we grew up with. I mean, this is a different Hoosier team. That is a, that will always be a basketball school, um, but that football program has shown, hey, we're here, and we're going to put that basketball program on the back burner right there. Right. So sure. to, to have to play Notre Dame, to have to play Indiana, this isn't the, the non-conference schedule that they just had. Um, so I, I, you know, I think the schedule is going to be a challenge, um, but I think the talent is still there. And if they can, they can play well again and 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 play consistent football like they did last season. Um, there's no reason why they shouldn't be great again. Yeah, and I think you hire a guy like Luke Fickle. Your your expectations is that he's going to raise the bar for the Bearcat football program, and consistently they will be good. And plan for Bob Huggins, I remember him talking about, you know, hey, once the bar is raised, you have to become consistently good. And and that's what fans expect. And with that being said, great segue into this basketball program. And I still still stand on the same mountain I stood on before and screaming that uh, Coach John Brannon um, is the coach for this program for the future. I think he's going to do an excellent job. And um, like Luke Fickle, raise those expectations for Bearcat basketball. And uh, so I, I, I want to jump into <laughs> basically all the craziness that's kind of happened uh, with, with this uh, basketball team and where we are today. But this segment is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. They have a new flexible bachelor's degree that will allow you to graduate conveniently and affordably. You won't lose any credit or have to start over. And I'll get people uh, more information on how to apply for that. 
Uh, let's jump into this Bearcat basketball team. Keith, on January 10th, uh, they lost to Wichita State 82-76. to The team was on pause for 25 days. Uh, five games were postponed. ECU, Temple, Houston, Wichita State again, and USF. Did you think this basketball team was ever going to play again? <laughs> nope, nope, sure didn't. I <laughs> Never. Um, I should shout out too. Like shout out the College of Arts and Sciences over at UC. I'm a, I'm an I'm an alum over there, so shout out to them for. Oh really? Shout out to them for cutting you a little check. But anyway, um, <laughs> nah, yeah, great yeah, to sure. great to have them on board, man. That's that's really dope to hear. Nah, man, that 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 stretch, 25 days. I don't care who you are how tough you think you are mentally, physically, all of that, um, that will test you. When you got 25 days away from, you know, the thing that you love most, the thing that has presented this opportunity for you to go to college and be a student athlete and, you know, potentially your, you know, opportunity to feed your family and, and just provide. and, and, and just, But just the thing that makes you happy and, and the thing that brings you joy, when that's taken away from you for three and a half, four weeks, that's tough. And so to see them respond the way that they have with, with two straight wins, I mean, it's it's remarkable. And I think, like you said, you, you believe John Brandon is the guy for the job. I do as well. And I think that's a testament to the job that he's done this year. I mean, this is it, – it's really hard to explain how difficult um, this is for them, for him. Um, but for them, the players, most importantly – I think we forget that they're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. This, this, they're not us. They're not, you know, 30, 40 year olds that have lived life and have experienced some things. Look, I have my struggles with what's going on in this world, right? So I, I can't imagine being a 20 year old, 19 year old, someone who was just in high school a year or two ago and having to go through all of these things but then yet and still be expected to be an effective and a good uh, and a great student athlete and to win games. And it's just, it's a really tough challenge um, for them. I think, you know, we as, you know, watchers um, of this program and, and fans, you know, need to keep that into perspective, man, this is tough. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to see them respond the way that they have is, is really good to see. And what were your expectations going into that Temple game based on everything, the the pause and just not enough practice time? What, what were your expectations? I thought they were going to get ran out of the gym. Yep. 100%. And that's not yep. being mean. It's just when you think that they had, you know, I don't even think you could really call their practices true. They had one or two practices, but they they were still limited. They had to have a graduate assistant come out and, and practice with them in order to have a true five-on-five practice. Um, you had guys in isolation who were dealing with, with the virus and, you know, and then you, you get to Temple, you're starting a walk-on and Rob Banks, um, Keith Williams, the, the guy on the team is not in the starting lineup. Tari Eason, the star freshman is not in the starting lineup. You're starting a, a true freshman in Mikey Saunders, you know, not that, you know, Temple is not a, a, a mountain that's, that's, you know, unable to be climbed, but, on the road with all of these things going against you, I thought it was going to be a long day. But to see them respond in the way that they did and to see a different David DeJulius, um, I think, you know, that's the David DeJulius that we've been waiting to see, we, we've heard about. That's the guy that Brandon and his staff were so excited about getting, you know, to see him drop 26 points, a career high, um, and still be so effective in the other areas 
um, it, it was just a special game for him, um, and it's what we've been hoping and, and expecting from him. And um, it, it was really good to see. So to see them respond that way, it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch. Um, no. They still made a lot of mistakes. But I think what we're seeing from this team is early on before that 25-game, that 25-day layoff, is they were losing those close games. You know, six of their seven losses were by single digits or are by single digits. So to see them come out on the road against everything and to figure out a way to win that close game and then to turn around and win another one, I think we're seeing maturity and growth and a mental toughness and also just an ability for John Brandon to keep his team locked in through all of this I think we all just need to recognize, man, this is this is a special thing that we're seeing, um, just we're seeing these young men and this coach navigate through this stretch. It's, it's crazy. What what do you think has been the difference for David and Julius? Because, in my opinion, he's he's been the difference these two basketball games. But prior to, um, I think David's been playing well, but he, he's been the difference um, in a lot of ways these last two games. What do you think has been the difference? For David, I think John Brandon's been the difference. They they talked about so during this stretch where they were all you know away from the court, um, you know David told us about how he had COVID you know during the off season before things got going, and you know with him having the antibodies, he's been able to stay healthy and he's been able during that stretch he was able to get on the court and put some work in, some extra work in with John Brandon, some one on one work in. And Brandon instilled in him that confidence, like, look, despite your offensive struggles, despite you shooting 17% from the three-point line, I still believe in you. You're still the guy that I really wanted. You're still the guy that I've recruited since you were however old. Um, You know, I still have faith in you. And I think that goes a long way for a young man who was struggling offensively and is dealing with a lot. I mean, he was saying how – you know, some of his closest friends on the team and guys that he grew accustomed to being able to hang out with, he couldn't do that because they were in isolation. So that mm-hmm. was a time where, you know, this guy who's 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 from Detroit was away from his family during this tough stretch. Um, and the only place he can go is the gym and his dorm room. And that's it. Um, but with Brandon instilling in him, look, man, we're in this together. And I have the utmost confidence that you are still the guy and the leader of my team. I think that just went a long way for him because you saw against Temple, he was shooting with confidence. He was, yep. he was, he wasn't hesitating with any shot. You know, it, it, you look, if you're shooting 17% from three, you're going to think about that next shot. Um, no question. It's human nature, but to see him go out there and be aggressive and, and to just, you know, be that leader that this team needs, um, that that's that's huge, man. And so you know, you said and you have said that this team is going to go as far as David Julius takes them. If he's going to play like that, and if he's going to play the way that he's played these last two games, um, the rest of this season and next year is going to be special. Yeah, no, no question. And the other thing too, I was really concerned this game with fatigue. Um, it was thirty-one twenty-three at halftime. And I thought the team was playing pretty well, all things considered. And I was worried about second half. We would we would catch a point where guys would get fatigued. You know, we did miss some free throws down the stretch. I think Micah missed uh, two in a row. Jeremiah missed one. 
Um, there, there was some, you know, free throw, some mental fatigue there. But, but I tell you, um, I think we saw something. I want you to touch upon this. Starting with the Temple game, I think bleeding into the Tulane game, we saw something we didn't see before, and that was that toughness and grit. Yeah, oh, 100%, 100%. I, I think that, and this is just me being an observer because David hasn't said that, John hasn't said this, but I think when something you love and something that's so near and dear to your heart is taken away from you, you gain a, a, a stronger appreciation for it and of it. And I think what we're seeing from this team, like you said, that that grit, um, that determination, um, that feistiness that, frankly, this program has been for the last 30, 40 years, you know, we didn't see that early on from them. We didn't see that toughness. We've seen it these past two games. Um, and you don't want to it's, – it's a small sample size, so you don't want to put too much uh, too much stock in it. But we are seeing just a different brand of basketball from this team. They're, you're diving for loose balls, and we're just yep. – they're, they're locked in defensively and, and – and, I mean, they had, you know, Forrester on Temple. He got in foul trouble because we were being the aggressor and we put him there. And, you know, when guys are being the aggressor – and then, look, David DeJulius was being more aggressive than we've seen from him all season. If he's the guy that's your engine and he's the leader and he's the point guard, everyone's going to follow with him. And then you got Keith Williams in the Tulane game that did the same thing. You know, that's contagious. So I just, I just think we're seeing a different brand of basketball because when these guys – weren't able to have it for so long, and they're just itching to get back on the court. But to finally have that opportunity, I think I think they gained a better appreciation of it, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it directly on the court with just a different brand of basketball by this team. Yeah, and I, and I do want to I want to jump into and I want to put a microscope on this this two lane game. And once again, this segment is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. And looking at this two lane game, uh, talk a little bit about the play of Keith Williams. Keith was Keith. Keith is was the player that, you know, we've we've seen flashes of this season. Um, you know, he was the preseason first team all conference selection against Tulane. He was the guy that said, Hey, get on my back, I got us. I'm not letting us lose this game. After not playing for twenty five days and to stealing a win in, in Philadelphia, we didn't come down to New Orleans to lose this game. And so we saw Keith, that senior leader just put the team on his back. He put up 20 big points. They needed every one of them, and he scored his thousandth career point, which is insane. When you when you think about, he's only the 54th player in the history of this program to That's score crazy. a thousand points. You know, there's so many guys, as you know, who have come through here who haven't surprisingly done that. Um, but the I feel Keith, like I feel like there was 50 during Huggins' time alone. You know what I mean? Like that, 100%. Yeah. 100%. There was 50 on the 2000 squad, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but, uh, but no, nah, it, it just, it, it's Keith, to see him play as, as well as he did, um, I mean, that was a stretch in the second half um, where he scored nine straight points by himself. Um, and, I mean, Keith is a special player. I mean, it, there's no, there's no, that's not a, I'm not breaking news here. He's a guy who's a super athletic guy. He can score with ease. I think for him, he shouldn't even worry about the offensive side of the ball because that's just easy for him. His strength is, you know, being that lockdown defender, being that super athletic guy on the defensive end, being that leader, um, doing the things where he can guard the other team's best player, um, staying out of foul trouble, playing smart and effective defense without picking up fouls. 
um, you know, picking up big steals and blocks and, and, and being aggressive. Um, and then once he gets on the other side of the football, that stuff, or the other side of the basket, the other side of the court. He can, he can play comes, football, too. He, he probably could. He'd be a mean safety, bro. He, and then put him, at, put him at receiver on it. He's just such a freak athlete. Um, but he's just, he's special, man. And to see that, if you can have David and Julius playing the way he has been playing and then have Keith, like I said, stay out of foul trouble, play effectively on the defensive side as he's capable of doing. And then the offense, I mean, Brandon said, look, when he's our age playing in the YMCA league, he's going to score a thousand points in that league too. Cause he's just that gifted of a right. scorer. Doesn't matter um, where he's playing. He's going to drop. You know what I mean? No points. matter, yeah, you know, rec league, sure. church league, whatever. But he's just, he's a special, special player. And I think we saw that against Tulane. We saw him in his element. We saw him not overexert himself. He was just playing it. I think you said you and I were talking, you were like, they were just hooping. Like, I think, yep. I think the key to this team sometimes is, you know, Brandon might just got to get out of the way a little, not to say he's in the way, but just say, hey, guys, put everything to the side and just go hoop. Just yep. hoop. Like, yep. you know, I know it's a crazy time and you got this to think about and you got this and you're thinking about this and that and that and that. Just go hoop. And I think that's what we saw from Keith in, in that in against Tulane and that's what we saw against David Julius against Temple. Um, and it's, to see that from your two guys who are the engines of this team, um, it's, it's it's really good to see that, especially after the 25-day layoff. Yeah, and, and I want to touch upon something you were talking about with Keith, and he's such an elite scorer. And, I, and I've always thought that Coach Brandon would do wonders with him, and I think obviously still season left, I still think he could do a lot for Keith and helping him on the offensive end from a standpoint of this. Um, I think Keith is so talented and athletic on the offensive end. He kind of gets caught in a space that Russell Westbrook does sometimes. He overcomplicates things. And, you know, I always tell kids, you know, that I work with, with, with basketball, it's not like, especially on the offensive end, it's not like diving. In diving, the, the more creative and flips and stuff you do, you get more points. In basketball, you don't. You're getting two or three. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? And I, sometimes Keith is in a diving competition. You know, he makes it super complicated. But when he keeps it, when he keeps it simple and just lets his supreme athleticism take over, uh, gosh, he's he's definitely special. And I, I want to segue into another player that is so very special, and that is that is Tari. Speak about Tari and the game he had against Tulane. Tari, man. Tari, like, they were joking with us, David, Keith, early on that, hey, Tari may not be here very long, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> you, you see how special he is, just a true freshman. He, he Look, man, this time last year he was dominating high school kids in Washington State, and now he's here on this stage he gets 13, 9, 5, 4, and 3 in his sleep. I mean, it's just he rolls out of bed and can give you 13 to 9. And, and it's just his athleticism, his length. Um, and he's so smart. He's such a smart basketball player. And that really, really shows on the defensive side with his weak side blocks and his rotations. He just he has good instincts. And he's just, he's just one of those guys who gets it. But then he has those freshman moments that are to be expected, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we're seeing – when he talked because I asked him after the Tulane game, um, what's happening with this team? Because these games, you were losing these games, you know, two months ago. 
You couldn't if you see within the game a one possession game with one minute to go, they were losing. Now they're figuring out ways to win, and he just said experience, you know. And you got to remember, <laughs> he doesn't have that, you know. He, mm-hmm. he there's no experience. He can't pull from, you know. Hey, this happened. No, he's learning on the fly. And I think what we're seeing from this team that is also still very young and figuring out their roles amidst of a 25-day layoff is that as they have these different experiences, when they're put in these positions again, they're like, oh, remember this? Remember Mm -hmm. that? Remember that this happened before? Hey, let's do this this time around. They've won two straight games that came down to the final possession. And I think that that speaks of the growth and the maturity. Look, man, bad teams figure out ways to lose. Good teams figure out ways to win. And I think we're seeing this team gradually turn into a more uh, mature, a better team, a more well-rounded team, um, and just a team that's figuring out what the hell they're doing out there, and it's paid off with two straight victories. And it seems like they're making a conscious effort, specifically in the two-lane game, to get the ball to Chris Vogt down down low. And obviously there was a size advantage there, but um, it, it was good to see Chris get a little bit of confidence. Yeah, it was good to see Chris to get that. I mean, and you, you have to take advantage of that size when you're playing against a team like Tulane that's super small, and I think their biggest guy is six eight. They start four guards. Um, I think one benefit of the layoff and, and the state of this team right now is that they can't get out in transition. Like, the, the, the biggest strength offensively, I think, for this team is taking the ball out of the net and going. You know, getting the freak athlete that Keith is and Tari and, and David, get them out, Mikey Saunders, get them out going offensively quick, 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 and creating offense that way. Well, look, you Chris can't play that way. <laughs> like, right. that's not Chris's strength. Like, he's nope. a methodical, like, let's call it what it is. He's slow, okay? Yep. He's a slow guy, and his strength is in transition. But because they haven't had the numbers that they're accustomed to, because guys like Mamadou and Zach Harvey haven't been able to get on the court, because they've had to start Rob Banks a walk-on, because they've had to play Sam Martin a walk-on, the numbers aren't there, so they have to reel things back and say, all right, let's slow up the pace so that we don't freaking exhaust ourselves and we can't get get on the court. But I think that's benefited Chris because it works into his style of play so they're able to slow things down put Chris down low, take advantage of his size, have him work around the rim. And it's just been nice to see, you know, I think for his confidence, a guy who was an all-conference selection and has had great games here to get pulled from the starting lineup and to not have the season, I'm sure he expected, um, to see him have a couple games where, um, you know, Brandon was running plays for him and wanting to get him involved and wanting to use his strengths to help him win. I think that was huge, huge, huge for his confidence. And I think that you're exactly right. And I, you could see, so one time I believe Chris caught the ball, he he turned, he got an and one, and you could see his teammates so yeah. excited for him. Whereas yep. if you go back to prior to the pause, sometimes they would throw him the ball, he'd lose it, and guys would turn around and throw their hands down, and Chris would see that. He yep. would see the energy from his teammates, and now he's seeing a, a different energy. So um, hopefully that helps. Now you mentioned Sam Martin. And Coach Brandon did something very strategic when he kind of benched some guys. It could have been a result of, you know, a little bit of fatigue, and he was upset with the turnovers and defense and put Sam Martin and, and banked in at the same time in a crucial point in the second half. I believe Sam played like four minutes. 
Uh, Rob Banks played like six minutes, and they played solid minutes. Sam Martin had an assist to Tari. Yep. Uh, I believe it was an and one, and then he took a charge down the yep. other end. And I yep. think that kind of changed the momentum of the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're a little biased because he was right in the seat that you were standing <laughs> in, being that, that former walk-on that, you know, your number wasn't called often. But when it was, you got to go out there and perform. And he did that, and, you know, just like you used to, man. He, he did that. Um, and he's a guy that Brandon, just like Banks, I mean, these guys are asked to play just as hard as everybody else, knowing they're not going to get a lot of time. Like knowing that their name isn't going to be in the paper, knowing that they're not going to be on ESPN, knowing that they're not going to be get the highlights that some of these other guys are, are. But in this state, in this world that we're in, you know, you never know when you're going to be asked to, to, yeah. to come in and, and, and provide something. To have Rob Banks come out and then play quality minutes, to have Sam Martin come out. I mean, Sam wasn't even – he was going to be um, – I think he was going to be overseas or something for school. So I don't think they even expected to have him. But because of COVID, he's now playing this season. Um, right. it's, it's so crazy. Like, everything is – like, as I'm talking to you, I'm like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> but, uh, but no, man, it's, it's – uh, he – they they could not take care of the basketball. And and I don't know if it was, like you said, I don't know if it was fatigue. I don't know if it was um, just everything mentally going on right now for them. Um, but he goes to a lineup that had two walk-ons, two freshmen, um, and a sophomore, and they turned, over the, they turned the ball over three times the rest of the way. I mean, it really changed the trajectory of that game. Um, and you do need to credit the two walk-ons who came in and lost yep. quality minutes, and um, it's it, it just it's just really it's really it was a cool moment to see those two guys um, play extended time, and and they needed those minutes, and they definitely contributed to those victories. So salute to them. Yeah, and that funny story. So I actually text Sam before the two lane game, okay. and I said I said good luck, and he goes yeah, hopefully we can get another W, and then. Right after the game was over, within 15 minutes or whenever Coach Brandon got finished talking, I got a text from Sam, and he goes, little did we know that I would be in the game in the second half. <laughs> and I'm Crazy. like, man, I'm like, Coach might have to start you next game. He's like, I don't know about all that. But. <laughs> <laughs> Sam was hooping. Shout out to Sam. He was hooping. I love it. But, you know, the thing with Sam, I've known Sam since he was, you know, just probably nine, ten years old, watched him play <laughs> high school basketball, and, like almost everybody that's on that roster can play. You know, sure. they might not be sure. able to play to the level of a Keith Williams or Atari, but they all can play. And, I, and and Huggins was really good at at this, and that is if you play hard with a lot of energy, usually good things are going to happen. Yep. You know, you might you might have something, you know, bad happen here. But if, if you play hard and lock in on defense, good things are going to happen. Yep. Um, hey, let's let's jump into this Memphis game here. Um, I'm very intrigued with this Memphis game. So so now it's like get a win at Temple, get a win at Tulane, and this will be the fifth road game, right, against Memphis? Fifth, fifth road game has never happened in the history of this conference. This is a conference record. Wow. So what what intrigues me so much about about this game and, and Memphis is um, 12 and six. They've won their last three games. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think Bearcat fans are excited again, uh, maybe a little too excited. You know, sometimes you, you you know you get ahead of the skis a little bit. But um, 
I'm interested to see how we come out and, and react. I wonder if we're going to continue that confidence and build upon that, uh, or are we going to see what we saw prior to the 25-day the pause? What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is this game's going to be interesting because, like you said, it's the fifth straight road game for them. And look, Memphis isn't Temple. Memphis isn't Tulane. Like this is a different. This is a different level of basketball. You know, Penny's got athletes everywhere. He's got scores everywhere. Um, you know, one of their best players, Lomax, he's his numbers are ridiculous, and he didn't even start last game. So they're they're so they're so deep. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, how much stock we should be putting in these two victories? And they're important. I don't want to diminish what this team has done these last two games, especially considering what they've gone through in that 25-day layoff. Those two games are valuable, and to see them pull them out is even more impressive. But we're stepping it up a notch. We're having to play this Tigers team who are – it seems that they found their groove. They're in this stretch now where they're playing good basketball. They've won three straight – there was high expectations for this program coming into the season. You know, Penny is killing it on the recruiting trail, getting guys in. Um, he, they gave him a brand-new, shiny new deal because Memphis is liking the direction that Penny's putting that direct, that, that program in. Um, so this is going to be a, a unique test to see how much improvement has happened. Um, and, and, and we'll see. You know, I, I, I don't want to say, you know, expectations or anything like that. I think if, if you're Brandon – you know, let's continue to show that toughness. Let's continue to show that grit. Um, mm-hmm. Let's make them play the style of ball that we want to play. I don't think you want to get into an athletic fest with Memphis. I don't think that's what you want to do. You want to, you know, keep them, you know, grounded. Don't let them start flying around the gym. Um, play tough defense. David DeJulius, continue to take care of the basketball. Make sound decisions. Get everybody involved. When your shot's there, be aggressive. Take it. Um, Tari, do your thing, stay aggressive. He's going to play against guys who are as, as athletic as him, are as tall yeah. as him, are as long and lanky as him. You know, can you stay aggressive and continue to make the sound decisions? Jeremiah Davenport, Tulane was not your strong point. Like when you leave this university, that's not going to be on your highlight rule, your highlight reel. We're right. going to need the Jeremiah that can stay mentally locked in, mentally grounded. He's such a his biggest strength is his excitement and his energy and da da da, da. but yep. then that can be a detriment as well. So they're going to need Jeremiah to, to show, you know, all right, I'm mature, I can handle this, I can da-da-da-da. Um, so this is a new test and a, and a different test for them, and I'm curious to see how they'll respond after these last two games. Yeah, and, and I want to touch upon Penny real quick. You talked about his new deal. I think Penny, Penny Hardaway is oh my god, he's he's so good for college basketball right yeah. now. Yep, yep. You know, and and I, and I think and I and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but there's there's so much there's a lot of stale in college basketball, yep. and you know he brings a, a lot of good flair. He's got the name power. You know, he's on the sideline rocking the newest newest shoes, which I yep. love. He's got yep. the style down, got the recruits. Um, and, and you know what I love about it as well? I love seeing a former player that played at their school coaching there having success as well. I, I love to see that blueprint a lot more at other schools. I was such a big Penny fan. Like, gosh, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you were too. Like, oh yeah, when 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 Jordan retired, 
And now you got you got that Orlando Magic team with Penny and Shaq and Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott mm-hmm. and Horace Grant came over. Like it was just oh that team. And then you got the little Penny commercials and Tyra Banks. And I'm like yo, I was all about little Penny. Um, no, nah, mm-hmm. but I, I completely agree with. You. And it's funny like. You said you think John Brennan is the man for the job. I completely agree with you. Um, I, I love John Brennan. I think he is the guy that should be leading this program. Having said that, I didn't want UC to hire him. I wanted UC to hire Nick Van Exel mm-hmm. because I wanted mm-hmm. him to have the same impact or a similar impact that Penny is having at Memphis, that all-world player who, you know, has limited coaching experience but has, has shown that he's capable bring him in, let the recruits see a former player leading the team and younger black guy, you know, Mm -hmm. still connected with this generation. Because I think that's Penny's biggest strength is being able to connect with these young players. Um, You know, these young guys may not know Penny from 94, 95, 96, but they know Penny. They know that he was a beast. Their parents know that Penny was a beast. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I, you know, I don't want to – but I, I, I was like, man, I think Nick would be dope if we brought Nick in. I think he does. But I, I yep. do think John is a, is a good player, a good, a good, a great, a great, a great fit. Um, but I, I agree. I think he's he's good for the sport, and I think um, he brings fresh air um, during this time where we desperately need it. And I think, you know, Memphis, Memphis is one of those programs, as Cincinnati is, they're, they're – it's – College basketball is great when they're great, right? Like when Cincinnati's balling and Cincinnati's in the top 10 and and a perennial power and they have a guy who's in the player of the year conversation, Steve Logan, Kenya Martin, Danny Fortune, boom, 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 boom. Like when when that's happening, college basketball is just better. You need – you have your Dukes and your Kentuckys and your Kansases, and they're all down this year, right, which is insane. Um, Right. But you need that other side of the spectrum where, you know, UC is a top 10 program ever. Mm-hmm. That's, and not just AP said that, CBS said that. When they're at that level, you know, it's, it's, it's a special feeling. And Memphis, too. Memphis has a story tradition. And to see Penny be able to come back to Memphis and have the impact that he's having, um, I think, is, is, is really dope, especially for me, who grew up with him and super big fan. I hope they lose on Thursday, but I'm just saying. <laughs> it's, it's good to see him back. And and he's such a really, really good dude. Um, got a chance to know him a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, actually, I, I first ran into Penny. I was in Orlando, and I was at the AU National Tournament with some of our uh, our teams. Okay. And he had a team at the time. And he he finished coaching and everybody's like crowd around the court watching his team play. And then, you know, he kind of has his own security and all that and gets kind of ushered off. And so I watched his team play. I'd never met him before. And for some reason I went somewhere and I came back to meet a buddy to watch a game. And Penny was like standing literally right next to me. And I turned, I'm like, Penny. And he like looked at me. He's like, what's up? And I was like, oh, man. So I, I told him a, a common friend we have, and mm-hmm. man, he just started talking to me. It was really, really cool. And then when he took over the job at Memphis, after every game uh, when he played at Cincinnati uh, as a coach of Memphis, I would I would go down and talk to him. And he was so cool. He I said, hey, man, I got a couple buddies. Would you mind meeting him and taking pictures? This was after we beat them. The Bearcats beat them mm-hmm. at UC. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, yeah, sure, sure. He was like, come on, let's let's do it. He was just as nice as could be to everybody. Uh, yeah. 
so it, that makes it even that much easier to to cheer for him. And I and I sure. root for guys like Patrick Ewing at Georgetown, sure. um, even Aaron, even even Aaron at uh, at Temple. Look, yeah. I mean, to, to see him following, you know, his mentor and father figure in in John Chaney, man, I hope he does really really well there. I completely agree, man. It's just these are great stories. It's great to see former players get opportunities to to coach at their at their alma maters and and to to put those programs in the right direction. I think it 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 just it's it's a bridge that you want to keep up. You know, it's 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 huge for recruiting. It's huge mm-hmm. for the history of the program. It's huge. I mean, it's just it's it's great to see that. And um, man, like you said, it's just it's it's really easy to root for those guys. Yeah, no question. And uh, this segment was sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. And now shout it's out to them. time. Shout out, shout out to them. Hold on. We, shout out to the <laughs> College of Arts and Sciences at UC. They gave me my degree. I appreciate them. Holla at them. <laughs> <laughs> we both are graduates of the uh, College of Arts and Sciences. So big shout out to them. And I appreciate uh And I'm going to actually do – I'm going to do an episode – uh, with some folks from the College of Arts and Sciences, uh, Lisa Holstrom and a couple of folks, and kind of talk about what goes on behind the scenes. So we see Atari Eason and David DeJulius, Keith Williams on the court, but what happens when they're away from the court with the classroom? What do they need to do to be eligible, get their degree? Guys that yeah. maybe go off and play pro that come back, Dermar Johnson, Steve Logan, guys have come back and gotten their degree. We're going to yeah. kind of talk about that. It's really – they've got some cool stories. So nice. Very I'm, cool. I'm going to have them on. So, But you know what time it is, man. It, it It is time. It is officially time that we go back and forth about our list for the top go. five greatest rappers of all time. And once Let's again, you're listening, you're listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast presented by Healthcare Management Group. And um, it's time we start. Now, now here's how I want to do it. Um I would like to go back and forth. So I would like to start at five. You go first with, with your number five, and then I'll do my number five. Okay? Interesting. So we're going to start at five and work up. Because you know who my one is. You know who my one that, is. And that's why I want to save one for last, and we kind of go back and forth because I think we'll, we'll obviously intertwine at that point. I don't know your I don't know your five through two. I don't, I don't know who that okay. is. So that's, this is going to be interesting. So let's start with. Number five, T. Jenkins, greatest rapper of all time. So first off, real quick, let me just say, like, the guys who aren't in it are – I'm going to leave off so many names. Pac, not on my list. Eminem, not on my list. Black Thought, Royce, Wayne. Like, there are so many guys. Rakim, like, there are just amazing, amazing tech. LL Cool J deserves a nod somewhere. He's not on mine. But if someone put him on theirs, I'm not mad at that. Um, my fifth greatest rapper of all time in the history of hip hop music ever to ever do it ever ever is Scarface. Ooh, Mister Mister Scarface. Okay, tell me why. I think I think um, I think when it comes to southern hip hop, it doesn't get any better than him. Mm-hmm. His early albums, his last albums, um, he's a guy in my opinion like Jay, who you know, shout out to Brad Jordan as his real name. He's mm-hmm. a guy who sounds um, as effortless and as fresh and as unique and as sharp as the first day we heard him. His mm-hmm. stories, his flow, his lyrics, um, he's just, it's, it's, he's incomparable. And it, it's just, he's, he's, he's always been amazing for me. Um, 
his classic albums are just it's they're ridiculous. Um and he's he was the ghetto boys as much as, you know, those three were just hugely uh different and their personalities were massive. He stood out as head and shoulders above them lyrically and he's done that, you know, every time out. And I think he's in my in my opinion, I think he's the most underrated rapper of all time. Um, but when you dissect his his catalog and really get into his lyrics, I think Scarface is a guy who is amazing, and he's my fifth greatest rapper of all time. I, and I actually think that's a good one. Um, he's not in my top five, but I think he's a good one. If you look at some of the great rappers of all time, they do point to early Ghetto Boys music as an influence for them. And like you said, there is no question, undoubtedly, that Scarface was the Ghetto Boys, is the Ghetto Boys. When you listen to a Ghetto Boys song, of course you're waiting for the comedy of Bushwick Bill, but at the end of the day, it's about Scarface's verse. So I, I, I agree with that. Uh, jumping into my number five, and let me preface my list with this. Um, like you said, there are going to be some folks that are left off of this list that I think are great lyricists and great artists. However, I base my top five greatest rappers on a complete body of work, okay? Yeah. Their complete body of work. And some people's work I feel is incomplete, uh, lackluster, um, or what have you. So number five is my man, since we're using real names, James Todd Smith, <laughs> a.k.a. LL Cool J, Ladies Love Cool James, Legend in Leather, whatever you want to call them. Uh, for, for me, growing up, there was no – the first big rap star to me was LL Cool J. Yeah. Um, in my neighborhood, uh, we used to go play basketball on uh, Reading Road at a court called Sugar and Spice. And um, when we finished playing, uh, this guy, Mike Grace, had this big boom box, and he would play radio, and people would bust out the cardboard box, and we were, we were breakdancing. And mm-hmm. we, we listened to – we used to joke, we used to listen to LL Cool J's music so much that you remember on the cassette tapes, the the words were smeared off. Like yep. the the words were gone. <laughs> we used to joke that LL Cool J was, was like breathing heavy after we finished playing. We would play it over <laughs> and over. And if you look at it from radio, uh, Bigger and Deffer, Walking with the Panther, Mama yep. Said Knock You Out, 14 Shots, always consistently, um, I think he had hits. Uh, he was always reinventing himself. Uh, and you got to think about it too. He made he made the the phrase "goat" famous. Yeah. If you really go back yep. and think about it, yep. Which is is so commonly used now. And I think also another thing that's important in the body of work of LL Cool J is he is battle tested. And when you look at hip hop music, Keith, hip hop music is as Jay Z has stated many many times, it's a young person sport. Mm-hmm. And you're you're effectively when you get older you're fighting the younger generation. They are the culture at that point. And if you really think about it, when cannabis came up and he's looked upon as this great battle rapper, and cannabis and him have that battle, and cannabis makes second round knockout, which is one of the great diss songs. He's got Mike Tyson on it, and he's dissing LL Cool J. Cannabis had a line in that song. I don't know if you remember this, but cannabis in his diss to LL Cool J, he said. Ninety-nine percent of your fans were high heels. High heels, yes, sir. You you, you remember that? And yes, at that sir. time, LL had he had transitioned into making the poppy kind of love raps, and he, but and you, cannabis was right. But but, but everybody, wait though, 
I'm, but you I'm gotta, coming with it. Okay, go ahead. I'm coming with it. Hold on, let me come with it. Okay. And everybody, everybody wrote LL off. LL came back with Jack the Ripper Strikes Back. Yep. And in my opinion, he had arguably one of the great, great comeback lines of all time to Cannabis, yep. who was an upstart rapper. Yeah, he said ninety nine percent of your fans don't exist. Don't exist. And I'm just telling you, that's what you were, that's what you were about to get. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell you when we heard that line, we all were listening to Jack the Ripper in my apartment, and I will never forget this. We all went, "This dude is unbelievable." Different. Yep. Number number five greatest rapper for me, LL Cool J. I'm not mad at you. Like I told you earlier, I didn't even know you were gonna say LL. Whoever puts LL in their top five, I can't. I can't. He's not in mine, but I'm not arguing that. Like LL, what he's been able to do, off wax, on wax. Like he's, he was Jay Z before Jay. Like he was. No he was the. He was the first. Well he was the first superstar, like you said. Like I mean, we had there was Curtis Blow, and you know the the members of Run DMC and Run and and Rev Run, but. Be, but Jay was or Jay Jay was Def Jam, but before Jay was Def Jam, LL was Def Jam. LL yep. was was he made Kangos Kang like he made it. Oof. I mean, it's just I can't I can't argue. That's a great that's a great decision. Great choice. Yeah, man. Yep. Number four. Number four for me. Uh, I don't know how popular this one is, but I don't care. It's mine. I do what I want. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, three stacks. Andre three thousand. Um, he is number four for me. Um, he's, he's on another planet as far as what he's able to do musically. Um, Mm -hmm. and then every verse he, um, has ever spewed, I just rewind over and over. And I'm just like, he said what? And to hear about, to hear him talk about his creative process and how he's agonized over, certain words and in the order of words and the placement of words and just meticulous how he is. And he's just a genius and his ability to take over records um, that where they're also filled with stars and he shines even brighter than any of them. Um, the players, the international players anthem comes to mind. I love that song, but you know, so I typed the text to a girl I used to see that verse is when you open the greatest moments in hip hop, that book, if it exists, if it doesn't, we need to figure out how to create it. But that when you turn to page one or whatever, I mean, it's in there. I mean, that verse is a moment in hip hop history. And I just, I just think, and then, you know, we can talk about outcast. I think big boy is phenomenal. Yeah. And I think yeah. Andre made him look average, and that is a no disrespect to Big Boy at all. No, I love Big Boy. Phenomenal, amazing. He deserves mention. Um, but Andre is the reason why Outkast became a worldwide phenomenon in the late 90s and early 2000s because of his personality, his skills, his ability. Their way, their, The way that they were able to work off of each other was phenomenal. But, yeah, number four, Andre Three Stacks, amazing. Yeah, and that's an interesting pick um, because uh, I always tell my friends that I think one of the, the more genius things, I don't know if it was um, on purpose, but I think he's limited He's limited his content. So, you know, there's there's not a lot, a lot of Andre 3000 
music out there. There's not, and if you think about it, like Little Wayne has way too many freaking songs. Yeah. Like I, I can, I can probably write a book on the whack Little Wayne songs that he just sure. shouldn't have done, but he just put out so much material. Whereas Andre was so strategic, he was almost like Barry Sanders, where he gave you all this great, and he's like, eh, I'm out. Yeah. My decision. I'll, Jim Brown, I'll be back when I, Alvin Johnson. Yep. yep, you're right. Yep, you're right. <laughs> I'll be back when I'm back. It is what it is. Uh, love it. And I had, you know, what's crazy about uh, 3000 is I've had friends just like randomly meet him on the street or in the airport, and he's just like playing a flute or doing something. People yeah. send me pictures. Have you heard about this? You know how many people have stories of just randomly running into three stacks at a Hardee's or something like just the most that random is so stuff. Crazy, yeah. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, and no, I, I am, I'm such a hip hop head, and he's one of those guys where, you know, I mean, there, there was I remember DJ Drama had a mixtape, uh, mm-hmm. and on it he had Big Boy, Dre, um, and Marsha did a song together. Marsha Ambrosius, who's a good friend of mine. And that song is stupid. I mean, mm-hmm. like it, it just—it's just. I, I, I mean, we could do a whole. We could we could erase the first hour of this podcast when we talked UC and just focus on this and just get into it. But <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just—I love it. No, no, I just Andre. Andre could be number one, but the the next three are ridiculous. He can't. He can't. He can't overtop those. He can't do it. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> my my number four. Uh, the God MC, Rakim Allah, Rakim. Love it. Love it. Um, and, and the reason I have Rakim at number four, um, back, back again to, like I said, the body of work. If you look at Paid in Full, Follow the Leader, Let the Rhythm Hit Him, Don't Sweat the Technique, all those albums, to me, you know, I, I feel like he was way ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like he was dropped from uh, uh, the 2000s into the, the 80s. And he was just, I, I remember as, as a young kid, so many of us wanted to be rappers. Like we would all write raps, right? In, sure. in a little yep. notebook, you did the same thing. Yep. But when you heard a Rakim song, you just tore up your book and said, man, I can't do this. <laughs> this, dude, this, dude, this dude's too good. What, what I loved about him, no gimmicks. He didn't have to cuss. Um, and he, I think he did something that most people didn't do back then. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I thought I lost you. Um, He did something that most rappers didn't do back then, and that was he outshined the DJ. Mm -hmm. So if you go back in the history of rap, the DJ's name was always written first. Absolutely. Right? Jackie Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Absolutely. Right? Eric B. and Rakim. He was one of the – he outshined – the basically DJ Cool Herc was was the person that kind of brought rap to the forefront, you know, in the Bronx playing the, you know, music at the, at the outdoor parks. Like the DJ was the guy, and, and for him to be the guy that outshined the G, DJ and changed the culture of MCing, in my opinion, he was that guy. And still today, in 2021, I can hear a Rock Kim song in a verse and just be like, man, it's not corny. It's not dated. It's just so timeless. So well, number four, rock him. Well said, well said brother. And, and and if you, the next, at least two of the guys on my next list, 
have said, not even probably all three, but they have said Rakim. It, he's the reason why they do what they do. Like he's the reason <laughs> why they ended up being who they were. Um, yep. And 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 Rakim changed hip hop, like in a sense that before Rakim, and this is no disrespect to anybody before Rakim, but everyone had a certain flow, and hip hop sounded a certain way. When mm-hmm. Rakim came out, wait, what? Like, w- 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 he just, he was different. He just, he, mm-hmm. he was the first, he was the first, like, um, metaphor, heavy lyricism, like, crisp. And then the sound, sonically, he was just different. Like, the way that they were able to produce his album, his records. Um, but, yeah, Rock. and then when he made that brief comeback, when he was with Aftermath for a second, um, and he made a couple appearances over there with Dre. Like you said, bro, his his vocals were just as fresh and just as sharp as they were in the late 80s. Just phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal, phenomenal. And let me say one more quick thing, too. Um, you know, growing up, I loved watching Showtime at the Apollo. Yep. And Showtime at the Apollo had many acts that, that, that came on and rocked the house. But what's crazy is uh, there was a guy who, I don't remember the guy's name, I think he's since passed away, but he had pretty much from the beginning until the time of his death, he had been involved in, you know, every act that was there at the Showtime at the Apollo. And he put Rakim's performance, he says, as a top five performance in the history of Showtime at the Apollo. He says, I have never seen a crowd react to anyone like they reacted to him. He wasn't dancing. He wasn't wearing colorful outfits. He had on the same outfit that probably 80% of the guys in the audience had on. Mm-hmm. The same. And he goes, that place went nuts. So, Love it. all right, enough on Rakim. You're number three. Number three is uh, the notorious one, B.I.G. Um, this one is, uh, this one's tough in the sense that um, he was just taken too soon. He was taken way too soon, and, like, I feel like we were robbed of just even more greatness. Um, I think I think Biggie, you know, his, his, his wordplay, his um, flow, um, he is just his ability to be versatile and talk about different type of topics, um, the, his a way to he could hop on a, a sec a song with Total and then do the the joint with the the Bone Thugs and Harmony and switch up his entirely different his flow entirely different and and be able to hang with you know that that double time rhyme scheme and, and flow. Um, I just I just think Biggie. Um, I mean Jay's number one. And I'll tell you who my number two is. We talked about Jay before, but without Big, there's no Jay. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think big, big's death, unfortunately gave birth to Jay. Um, but I think big literally like it just, it, I think he, he also took rap to a different level. Like the, the greatest in the game heard big's latest record and said, well, he said, what, mm-hmm. um, he did what? And, and so you know, there, there. I think I put Pun in this category too. Pun's not in my top five, but Pun is a guy who I believe Big Pun was tremendous. Um, but we were just robbed. We never really truly got to see how great he could have been. I just right. think Big was um, phenomenal, and 
even the small sample size that we were able to get, I'll put that up against anything anybody ever created. And so he's my number three. Well, I'm going to agree with you. So my number three is Christopher Wallace. The only Christopher we acknowledge is Wallace. Um, and and, and the, I'm going to piggyback what you said. If you really look at his two albums, and, and when I preface this whole thing, I said I look at the complete body of work. However, I think Big's an exception because if you look at Ready to Die and Life After Death, I mean, you're talking about home run and home run. 100%. So, right? So he's on court. I mean, they weren't triples. Those were home runs, home runs. Yep. I mean, this dude did a double album. And you know how hard it is for a hip-hop artist to make a double album that people are going to listen to both CDs and, and they have, or I'm dating myself, but the, the CDs, and they're going to have that type of impact. Yeah. I think he was on course to, if you think about what that third and fourth album, if he were alive, would sound like, and just the evolution of his flow would have been unbelievable. And I think he was on course to be definitely one of our goats. I always, I always say this, my, my, um, aunt who uh, she passed away. Uh, she used to have this giant green Cadillac and okay. she would pick me up from school. And this is when I was, this was like ninth grade. And she would pick me up in this huge Cadillac and we would have to go on 71 for 15 or 20 minutes. And she, we would be on 71 and she'd be cruising like 80 miles an hour. And that thing was just bouncing and it was <laughs> so smooth. That is big on a track. Oh, I love it. I love it. You, you know what I mean? Every I love time it. I hear him, I feel like I'm in my aunt's Cadillac going 80 on the highway, feeling like I'm only going 50 and I'm cruising. No, we are going. His flow is just, I don't think anybody has rode a track um, quite like him. And I'll tell you one thing that I thought was, was genius, whether it was Puffy's idea or a combination was he kind of took that heavy D thing and ran with it, that big sexy uh, yeah. style. Yep. You know, heavy heavy D was the first dude to say, you know what, I'm 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 a little overweight, but I'm sexy. And and Big kind of had his own way. He wasn't dancing around, but you know, he wanted to be that that big sexy. Um, and, and I'll tell you one last quick story with with Big. We were on spring break. I was I just finished. I can't remember who we played uh, that year in NCAA tournament, but we lost. I went to spring break. We were down in Florida <clears throat> in Panama City, and we were on the Panama City Strip. I'm with my buddy Sam Dunn, Matt Burke, and a bunch of guys. B.I.G.'s album, Life After Death, just dropped. We walked all the way down to the record store in Florida to purchase it, come back. We're playing it in our, um, in our little hotel room. Hours later, we come out on the strip where it's almost nighttime, it's getting dark, and all these cars are, like, jam-packed. There's a big traffic jam on the strip. Every single car key, I'm not making this up, is playing hypnotized. And I it's love at it. a different point of the – and all you hear is, vroom, 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 and then one car is going by. It, Hot, so good in you and I love it. And we're like, this is, this is a hip-hop moment. Yep. So – my number three pick. So I love you. that we had the same one. I love it. I love that number three lined up. I love it. For sure. Number two. And I love that you said Big was as smooth as your aunt's green Cadillac <laughs> on 70. Like, who's the who's the writer here? Like, fam. Like, <laughs> yo, the metaphor there is insane. I love it. Um, 
I love his flow is like my eyes green cow. All right. Um so number number two for me is Nazir Jones. Nas is uh he's number two. Um I mean Jay's one and and I think it's Jay and everybody else. But what Nas does at number two for me is so Rakim was a phenomenal storyteller. Slick Rick, phenomenal storyteller. Um, I can I can name several others. Nas was was that and times a million. Um, I've had fights and I go back and forth about the albums um, between Illmatic and it was written. Illmatic, it, it changed everything that we had ever known about the genre. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it just so we can create a hip hop album that sounds like this. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not I'm not from Queensbridge. I've never been to Queensbridge in my life. I've been to Queens. I've driven through the boroughs. I've never been in that hood and in that project and an experience how that bro. When you listen to Illmatic, you know exactly. Like it's like I'm sitting on the on the stoop, like watching everything by you know flow right by me. Um, sure. You're on the elevator, right? You know what I mean? Yep. Like 100%, 100%. And and so um but I've had I've had arguments about Illmatic versus it was written because you know my thing with Nas is as great as he was on Illmatic it was written his abilities on that album and then the joint he did with Dr. Dre, he changed the game with the single with Lauren Hill of course. Mm-hmm. Um the message I, is one of my favorite songs of all time. It, mm. I just he he is he's so sharp in his mind, his intellect, um, and he just raps better than you. <laughs> like I'm sorry, like he's just better than you. Um, right, right. So yeah, Nas is is number two, um, and I again he's he's one of those guys that you know I, I think I think one thing and, and we'll we'll get into Jay because I think we're both on the same you know I don't want to overstep your number two. But the reason why Jay is above Nas for me, for several reasons, but one key thing is um, I think Jay's ear was better, and I, we'll get to that as far as yeah. like beat selection and stuff. Because no I think question. that's that's one thing that held Nas back certain times is mm-hmm. I just think sometimes he just had the wrong beat. Like why did you choose yo yo rhyme is dope and your your flow your sixteen is crazy, but that beat just doesn't fit your style Man. your flow and um. But having said that, you can throw Nas on anything and he'll murder it. And um, so Nas was just was is uh, a special MC and he's the second greatest ever. So uh, when I was young, my friend Damon Martin and uh, and Darius, we skipped school when um, Illmatic came out. Mm. And uh, I, I, I admit this, we skipped school to actually listen to the album. How crazy mm. is that? Mm. And I'm going I'm to tell you, I will never forget this. We were in my light blue Honda Civic hatchback, <laughs> and I had a house speaker in the back, mom's old house speaker. I love it. Put the tape in, and, man, first you got the train tracks. and Yeah. Then when that beat kicks in, and then Nas goes, rappers are monkey flipping with the funky rhythm, I'll be kicking, musician, <laughs> inflicting composition of pain. I'm like Scarface. Man, we looked at each other, and that's back when you, you had to rewind it. And Darius goes, 
rewind it. What it, but that was, we couldn't rap genius. We couldn't rap genius that stuff. And right. we had to rewind it. Right. Left in my peepholes. I'm suited up in street clothes. Hand me a nine and I'll defeat foes. I'm like, what? You know, my Bruh. with without the airplay. I'm like, man. So, Bruh. Different. Go, different. 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 Um, my number two. And um, and the, the reason I have this guy at number two is because his music had a certain impact on my life, um, and that's Tupac. So, I, ironically, I didn't put Tupac at two just because of Tupac, but I just think from a cultural impact, what he had on hip-hop is just it's, it's unmatched. Um, well, I do think when, when when people do pass away, their music gets elevated. I mean, like yeah. Pop Smoke passed away. I had never heard of Pop Smoke prior to him passing away, and then his song shoot up, shoots to number one. I hear it on the radio all the time. So that often helps. But um, with, with Pac, obviously, he had a body of work prior to his death that was, that was unbelievable. What I loved about him, um, I don't think at that time I had ever heard anybody rap with that much with that much emotion, emotion that you yep. really felt like it was yep. so authentic. And you know, a lot of times rappers kind of lie in their raps, and we we know that. But I felt every word Pac was talking about. And the, here's the other genius, and, and Quincy Jones said this, and and Pac dated you know Quincy's daughter, and and Quincy Jones said in an interview that the genius of Pac was he made a, a gangster track to get all the hood dudes to, to, to buy into what he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he would get them to come in. He'd get his arms around them, and then he'd hit you. The next song would be a message, Brenda's got a baby, yep. keeping your head up. But if you notice, go look at his track releases. It's gangster hit, message. He was like, it was all part of a plan. He goes, what he was doing was, was genius. Um, and, and to me, every Pac album was so very different to me. It just was a different part of his life from, from New York to, to L.A. And just it was just so different. But what album did it for me, and I'll, I'll leave it on this, and so we'll jump into, into Jay-Z. Um, the album that did it for me was, was Machiavelli. And I was at UC, and the uh, Machiavelli album had, had come out, and it became the soundtrack to our basketball team. You can ask mm-hmm. Kenyon Martin, Pete Michael, like ask any of those guys. It was all about Machiavelli, man. We were bumping that, <laughs> and it, that just became it just became the, the album. And that album kind of allowed me to dive into his his other work, and so I, I'm just I've become just such a huge Pac fan because of that. So. That's my number two. Um, let's jump into one, man. Let's talk about Jay. I'll let you go first. Real quick on Pac, because I feel yeah. like I I, um, I love Pac. Obviously, he's not in my top five. The the reason why is because, you know, what Pac had in emotion and delivery and strength, like his vocal strength and his ability to make you believe, um, I felt he lacked in lyrical content, you know, metaphors, flows, like, mm-hmm. so I, so, so like for, for me, what I felt one, like the reason why Nas would be number two, for instance, is because I felt what he had, what he, where he, where Pac lacked, that's where Nas gave me 
but then he would also give me Nas NJ what Pac could. Um, I love mm-hmm. Pac, and I, I it, 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 that's that's a really tough because I I have debates about, and I love Pac, and I think people are like, well, you don't like now you hating on Pac. I love <laughs> Pac, but I am a very lyrical, and again, these these are all like subjective. Mm-hmm. Like you you you, we all have our own opinions, and just because he's not in my top five doesn't mean I don't like him. Um, but like Hail Mary is he's got he's got timeless Ooh. songs. That are just like like you said, you could put them on a day and they sound like they were just created. Um, you know, keep your head up is just you know it's a it's a it's a song that his versatility was special. His his uh, his ability to create, keep your head up, and to create, hit them up, and to just to completely yeah. flip. And you know what Dre did for him on California Love. Um, oh, I mean, and, you know, I mean, my my album is 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 you know the Me Against the World album, and mm-hmm. and just and um, I was just you know All Eyes on Me, you know Machiavelli was special, um, but the 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 All Eyes on Me double, um, and that was like almost like an unfair greatest hits because he went over to Death Row, and he just they just took everything they were working on and said, Yo, Pac just came home, here's our best stuff, not taking anything away from Pac. Put your best verses on these, and we're gonna make this a double. And that album was like a special. That's like a that deserves like a spot in the own hallway of the hip hop museum of mm-hmm. just how they were able to create and, and manifest that special product. So shout out to uh, Pac. And again, a, a guy he created so much music while he was here. We almost don't feel you know um, we don't feel like he was taken too soon because he was such that he was such a monster with his work ethic that he created so much content while he was here. Yeah. But again, he's one of those guys too. Had we been able to see him grow, like there's no telling, you know, you know what where he could have taken it. Um, so yeah. Um, oh yeah. I, well, well said. I I think he would have been a an activist today. Um, yeah. I think he would have been very involved in a lot of different movements to, to phenomenal uplift. actor. Phenomenal oh. actor. Like he yeah, just special. He was he was a he was he's a for me like he's he's bigger than just a hip hop artist. And his his what could have been his impact? Like he could have been on the front lines of, of as we're looking at all of these different political movements and and, and social change and, and social justice and and, and, and and strides for equality. You know, I think he had the potential to be you know a, a monster and a huge force in what we're seeing today. Like I think like he could have used his power for so much good. It's just unfortunate that um, at the end there how it ended. But you know, yep. Wow. No question. Wow, wow, wow. Question. Uh, <laughs> all right. Jay. Jump in the hole. H O. Yay. Um uh Hove um uh, gosh, man. The first time I heard what's the first time I heard Hove? It was either the joint with Foxy off of the Nutty Professor soundtrack, mm-hmm. um, or it was um I'm li- I'm 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 feeling it. It was either that mm-hmm. I can't remember like the first time, but I was hooked. I mean, cause I, the first, that, you know, I'm feeling it might've been the first video that I saw of his, but I remember I, I bought the album, I bought volume one and um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I heard uh, where I'm from and just like what Nas could do for me, you know, being at Queensbridge, I've never been to Marcy in my life. And I'm like, <laughs> whoa, I know what Marcy's like now. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And so volume one, 
I heard that and I'm like, oh wait, he's got this is his second album. This isn't his first. So then I had to go back and get Reasonable Doubt because I missed Reasonable Doubt. Um, Reasonable Doubt may be the greatest hip hop album ever created. Mm. Um, it's 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 just it's what I love about hip hop music, especially and going back and listening to it, is listening to it today, and I gauge like how fresh does it sound. And that album today, when you put it in, you're just like, man, we could have created this yesterday. It's just mm-hmm. that sonically clean and crisp. Sure. And the and the greatness about Jay is his verse. His let's start from ninety five, ninety six on. He has consistently sounded sharp, fresh, clean. Um, you 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 can't describe like his verse on. Um, he had a I think it's a game Beanie Siegel the Reason album. There was a song with Freeway Beanie, uh, Young Chris and Jay. Mm-hmm. Jay's verse on that is just it's 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 one of those where you just keep rewinding it and you're mm-hmm. like you every time you listen to it you're like oh wait he said this and then he said this oh wait he said that oh I didn't catch <laughs> that then oh wait he said um, you know I, I just and that's that's been Jay's music every time out. And you could say volume three was a bad album. Kingdom come was a bad album. Holy grail may have been a bad album. I'll put those three albums up against your greatest albums. And let's talk because <laughs> For sure. like he, you know what I'm saying? Like his yeah. worst albums are probably better than your best. Okay. So, yep. you know, it's just, Jay has been consistent. Um, his, his impact on the culture, at at one point, you know, we were all wearing, you know, baggy jeans and, and huge throwback jerseys with four XTs and, mm-hmm. and and white Air Force Ones. Why? Because Jay. And then Jay was like, you know what, I'm switching it up. I'm going to wear, I'm um, taking the throwbacks off. I'm I'm a little older. I'm going to wear button-ups. I'm going to wear a fitted. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wear cufflinks on my, you know, now I'm walking yep. around with cufflinks on with, you know, looking out stupid, but this is what I'm, you know, Jay said it's what we were <laughs> And so I, I just, Jay was just, his impact on the culture, we talked about LL, what LL did, Jay-Z did that times a million. You know, mm-hmm. what what Rakim did, LL took it, and then Nas grabbed it, and then Jay said, nah, move. And then I still tell, everybody talk about uh, Ether. Oh, Jay-Z, I can't, no. Ether was like when you were in the backyard and you with your boys and y'all y'all capping back and forth. Yo, your head's so big. You yep. yo yo but yep. da, da, da. that Ether was great. Don't get me wrong. It ain't mess with Takeover. Takeover no. was a lyrical masterpiece. That was surgery. That was surgery. It was surgical. It was absolutely yep. Yep. surgical. It was facts, and it, it just it, he was just he's just a special a special you know part of the culture. And you know, it just I, you know, I could go on and on about the blueprint and what that did. Um, and I, you know, I've had debates. I think Eminem might have got him, but I that but to say that is crazy because Renegade, when people when you listen to Renegade, um, the reason why Eminem's not on my list is because he had a lot of throwaways like Lil Wayne. Whoa. He's got a lot Tons of throwaways. Of Right, and I think Eminem's greatest. I could, you could argue he was number one because on that Renegade record, I you when people say Eminem got him, you know, cool. 
I'll take you. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to that. I won't disagree with that. But listen to Jay's verses on that song. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Like so, I don't know. We can keep going on Jay, but Jay from his his impact on culture, um, his consistency, his ability to stay fresh and stay current and stay relevant, um, and his ability to just churn out content at a crazy rate and it just sound amazing. Um, I just, I can't, I, it's, it's laughable for me to say any other rapper is better than him. So that's it. <laughs> no, no question. Everything you, uh, you said, I co-signed. I started with Jay-Z back in the uh, Jazz-O era when he yes. rapped on Hawaiian Sophie. I actually still have the actual record. Uh, oh, that's dope. Of, that's of dope. Hawaiian Sophie. Yes, I have that, uh, the song Originators. Um, and for me back then, I loved that um, whole style of rap at that point where it was the, you know, the fast kind of rap, the bump, 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 you know, Jay-Z yep. was doing a lot of that. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, I knew him from, from that period. But when I heard Re- Reasonable Doubt, and I heard Jay say this in an interview, I think he did an interview with Elliot Wilson where he asked him, why was Reasonable Doubt, why is it your favorite album you've ever done? He says, because it took my whole life to write that album. He goes, I'll never have another album like that, where it took literally my entire life to write that one album. Um, And I love that. Funny story, when I was playing basketball at UC, I had a teammate, I don't know if you remember, Michael Horton. Absolutely. And Michael Horton, (laughs) this is a true story, he found out I was a big Jay-Z fan. And everybody else on the team was either Tupac or Master P. Like, No Limit was really big then. Because everybody was from the South. Huge. Was from the South. You know, uh, D-Little's from Atlanta. Everybody was kind of, you know, on the Southern rap. And yep. um, and so Michael Horton, being kind of an East Coast kid, was like, hey, man, you like Jay, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, hey, let, let's, let's talk about it. So we would, like, listen to Jay's songs, and he would go, well, what does that mean? And so we would break down the lyrics. So he and I would go back and forth about the whole, like, double entendres and what he was trying to say. And then all the while we're doing that, uh, Kenyon's blasting Master P. <laughs> Make him say, oh, which there's no double entendres going on there. <laughs> so different. So different. So, so different. But they, each, but they, hey, they each have their place, right? 100%. 100%. Yep. In hip-hop. Yep. Uh, and just quickly on Jay, um, he has more number one albums than any other solo out, uh, artist in the history of music. When I tell people that, they're like, wait wait a minute, the history of music? And I'm like, right. Michael Jackson. I said, the, only, the, only, um, the only one that has more number one albums is the Beatles, and they're, they're technically a group. Um, and that blows people away. And if you really look at that, He's got number one albums for years where he didn't have a number one single. Yeah, think about yep. that. <laughs> that's that's even more impressive. That's like saying I, we're winning national championships every year without any McDonald's All Americans. You know what I mean? I think his first number one, like Billboard number one, if I'm not mistaken, was the the New York joint with Alicia Keys. If I'm not mistaken, I could be. But you, you my could point be is. Right. It was a long time. Like, Big Pimpin' was time. not a number one. It was mm-hmm. huge. It wasn't a number one across all genres of music. I don't – Annie was huge. The You know, that wasn't – that sample was huge, and it transcended, you know, genres. That wasn't a number one record for him. 
Um, but like you, yeah, and I didn't even mention Hawaiian Sophie and the, the, the freestyles and the, the battles with Big L and DMX and the way that he completely oh. switched his flow up and, you know, so yeah, you took me back further than that, but <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that we got the same, we got the same number one. Cause it's just, it's, it's laughable when people like, I, I, I treat this debate like, and I'll hear anything you want to say from two to five, like we can right. talk whatever you want. But when you tell me Jay-Z isn't the greatest, nah, it's a rap, bro. I can't even hear what you got to say. And um, it's like when somebody tell me that The Wire isn't the greatest television show ever, like, <laughs> what are we talking about? This is, this is, we have, we just on different, we not seeing life the same way. <laughs> uh, that's, that's too good. I'm, I'm so with you on that. And I'll tell you what I love about, what I love about Jay. I always say this, yeah. Jay-Z could play every position on the court. Um, nice. You know, if he was a basketball player, look at look at all the albums. Like every, <clears throat> he goes down south and he does, you know, makes a, a down south banger with Big Pimpin'. Like yeah. every every type. I mean, he even wrote, <clears throat> you know, the verses for Dre on Forget About Dre and like the West Coast stuff. He he could do all of that. Kind of like what we talked about with with Big having the versatility to do a song with Bone Thugs to, to do it with Total. You know, he had that ability to do it all, um, play every position on the court. But what I loved the most about Jay was um, it, it's like this. It's like a if you look at, like, Picassos and, and different um, paintings where you look at the painting and you see one thing when you stand at a distance. And then mm -hmm. as you go closer with more inspection, you start seeing all these details and nuances, and you're like, holy shit, this is a totally different painting than the one I saw from back there. Yep. And then, like, every day you walk by it, you see something different in the painting. I was listening to um, Pusha T's song, Drug Dealers Anonymous, with Jay-Z the Anonymous. other day. And if you go back and listen to that verse, he starts it off, um, it goes, uh, Federico, uh, Federico Fela, yep. uh, Felony in the Flesh, um, Sergio Tacchini, uh, Inside the Mesh, or however you say I mean, breaking that down, mm -hmm. like, when I first heard it, um, I was just like, oh, okay, he named the film director, he named a, an apparel, but the Federico, like, he's talking about the Feds, Rico, yep. Rico Felony, yep. Yep. It, it, the, the surgeon, like, that was the popular drug dealer yep. outfit. It, I'm just like, people miss so much of what, there's so much that people haven't heard in his verses that are just absolutely you know, pure, pure, pure genius. Uh, and, I, and I'll say this, and I'll, I'll leave it on this. And that is, if you look at back to my original statement of body of work, if you look at the two bookends from Reasonable Doubt to 444, I mean, those two albums alone, if you look at the time difference of when they were made and the excellence of those two albums, is absolutely unreal. And we're talking... 20 years, 96 to when that when the 444 dropped, 2017. That was just uh, was it 17, 18, 17, 18, or 2021 so, now? So here, so he dropped it first. The what was it? What was it? it was a summertime album. So that would have been 2017. So that was yeah, summer of 2017, I believe. Yeah. So Crazy. that's what that's that's more than twenty years apart. Yeah, he, he sounds just as fresh. Whenever I tell somebody who don't believe us, listen to "Can I Live." For me, mm. 
Can I Live is the one song where, like, if I'm trying to persuade, no, you got it, da, 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 da. Hey, just listen to this right quick. Just tell me what you think. Just tell me what you think. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, yeah, he's definitely. Now, I, I do want to say this real quick. Um, I, I know now my buddies and I kind of get into it about this, but I tell you an artist that I think is very, very underrated that I think deserves to be in a top five when it's all said and done. My, my buddies sometimes look at me like, are you serious? I'm like, if you go back from the first album to current, Rick Ross has been killing him, man. If you took Rick Ross and put him in the 90s, I, I think he's a monster. Hmm. That's fair. I don't I'm not I'm not there with Rick. I will say that uh I we, we talked about Nas's ear and his inability to pick the right instrumental, the right beat. Um mm-hmm. as great as Nas is, he's number two, right, for me. Um but that's not Rick Ross's problem. <laughs> like Rick, Rick <laughs> that, that, that is so not Rick Rick's ear for top-notch production and mm-hmm. being able to pick the perfect instrumental for his voice and his flow and his cadence. Like, yep. I, I would argue that, you know, maybe other than Jay, there has never been anyone like him. Um, I, you know, I, my thing with, I, you know, I got we, the Rick Ross conversation is, is a different cause my, I, I'm still up on the, the line about the CO thing. And I, I had, and I, and, and taking the identity of a, of a drug dealer and, mm-hmm. and and you know, and I just feel like the, the authenticity I, of of who he I, is. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't believe I you, Rick. Now I don't that's, I don't believe you. How you know? And that's I believe Jay. I believe Nas. I believe Big. I believe yeah. you know. Um, but I I don't want to discredit. I think one thing about Rick that needs that he should deserve credit for, just from a lyrical perspective, is from Port of Miami on. Um, whether I like the album or not, um, he continued to improve. Every yes. time out, he gets better and better and better. No and question. and again, one thing on, on Rick is he does a really phenomenal job of picking singles because mm-hmm. sometimes I've heard a single, like um, I remember I heard uh, the Sorry Joint with, with Chris Brown, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, he he always picks the right single where me being I don't want to like Rick Ross, and then he drops a single and I'm like, this song is so amazing, it's so freaking good, um, and he's done that since pushing, since hustling, yep. he's done that from day one, where I'm gonna drop a single that just changes everything that's on the radio right now. And all you're going to listen to for the next hour is mine. And you're going to put on repeat and he does yep. that every time out. So, um, you know, I have issues with Rick, but like the positives of with Rick, you, you, you got something there for sure. And when he drops, I think I'm big Meech being map. I got to go with that. That's my guy. Oh, that's your that's anthem. My, my that's no, your, that's, that's, your, that's you. <laughs> my buddy said, I, every time I walk in the room, they say you should be playing that song. I don't care where you are and I was like I agree with that um but this has been great man this is our I think both of us we grew up kind of in that same time period and 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 hip-hop was so important yeah uh, I think for our generation and and um the culture so no I've, I've really enjoyed this and so next time you come on 
we are going to go from Bearcat talk to let's do let's do sneakers. We're going to do a top five sneakers. Let's do. You want to just do Jordans? Do you want to do top five Jordans? Or do you want to do top five sneakers? Gosh, if we do sneakers, we might have to do a whole. You see, gonna have to take a back seat, you know, because I. I know what your collection looks like, and I got a mean one too. We can have a, we can have some talks. We can let's just say Jordans, because I can. Okay, gosh, okay, we'll go top five Jordans. MJ's gotten a lot of my money over the years. Oh <laughs> man, I, man, I, I guarantee you, we bought him a lot of those Jets and whatever he's. Oh man, but no to like for us to have a Jordan conversation, we gotta have UC in that conversation because what they did for that brand in the late '90s and 2000s, like. You know what you all did, you Kenyon, Pete Michael. Mm-hmm. You know having that old, um, you know UC uniform with the with the with the Jumpman on it, and the blocks down the side. You know with the red and white or the black and red thirteens or the twelves. Mm. Like what y'all were doing at that point, like that. You guys were special, um, and it you know it, it really that is a big part. That is a big chapter of the Jordan book is what UT basketball Bob Huggins did for the Jumpman brand. Um, it, that, that was a special, and I know we just, we got the Under Armour contract that just, that UC just left. And I know fans have been like, please, can we go back to Nike? Please, so we can wear Jumpmans again. <laughs> special, special, special uh, era. That was special. And, and you know what? We definitely, when we do our next, podcast we're going to do that because i've got some inside stories that i've never told before regarding <laughs> the whole because that was my first my first year was the first year that the jordan deal started Love and it. The, the guy that was a big part of making that whole thing happen he and i actually have become really really good friends gentry humphrey and he's you know one of the vps at brand jordan still to this day so I got all the inside stories from him. So I got some good good stories you'd probably like to hear, and Bearcat fans would as well. But I just, I've never had anybody to come on and kind of really dive into those with. So hey, we're going. We're go, yeah. fans, you're welcome. You're welcome, UC fans. <laughs> see what I did for you? You see what I did for you? <laughs> they're, gonna love, they're gonna love you even more now, man. You know, and I want to say this lastly. Um, so I had you on for the podcast. And then I had Michael Perry on um, shortly after I had you on, um, who actually Michael Perry was the one that recommended me to interview you originally. And uh, funny story, uh, Michael Perry heard our interview together. And Michael said, you're not going to ask me who the greatest rapper of all time is, are you? (laughs) So when we had the podcast, I actually asked him, like, just name like name three something like that like name three rappers and he was yeah. like pitbull um i'm like what <laughs> like he's like can i say vanilla ice i'm like oh my God. i'm like i'm like mike we got to keep so so mike's not going to be listening to the second half of this podcast he yeah. care less about <laughs> that's, that's not mike lane that's that's definitely not mike lane it's cool though he, we all got our own lane you can say hey. yours mike it's all up that's that is that is the truth, man. I appreciate you uh, coming on the Bearcat Basketball Podcast presented by Healthcare Management Group, and the Bearcat fans obviously are going to love this as usual, man. And we definitely uh, got to get you on again here soon. Does that sound good, my, my man? I appreciate you every time. Yeah, no doubt, man. Appreciate it. We'll catch up soon. Yes, sir. Marquis, right, be safe. I want to thank everyone for listening to season two of the. 
Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41. And I'm now dancing on TikTok at Alex Meacham 41. I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!